What's going on, guys? This is Rob Doster here. I want to let you know about our sponsors, Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about them yet, it is the easiest way for you to make a podcast. I know because all of our 28 podcasts on the field of 68 and the field of 12 use Anchor by Spotify. It has the tools that will allow you to record and edit your pods right from your phone or your computer. You can distribute anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those places that allow you to listen to podcasts for absolutely free. Anchor sends those pods directly to the feeds. And here's the best part about it. Anchor is totally free. So make sure you download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm if you want to get started on your own podcast. We're launching a new series here on the Field of 68 Network. For now, until we come up with a better name, we're going to call it Candid Coaches Conversations. We'll have a select group of the top assistants in the country, as well as a couple media members, to candidly discuss a different newsworthy topic every single week. Uh, We'll also have a guest speaker. The coaches, the speaker, uh, those from the media, and the topic will change each week. For this inaugural episode, we'll have some of the best assistants in the country, also a speaker who spurned a high major job that paid a million dollars a year. Then we'll get into it, the hot-button topic of transfers. The, the first person uh, that I, I wanted to have on for multiple reasons, because I wanted him to be a part of this, but also I think his story um, is interesting to say the least, uh, is Oral Roberts assistant, uh, Russell Springman. I've known Russ since, uh, boy, Russ, when did we first meet? Long time. Long time. I just know it was Kingwood. Long yeah, time ago. Probably when I first got into this thing. And, uh, you know, he's had kind of a roller coaster ride and, um, when I asked him to speak, well, I did a story on him a few weeks ago in Indy and we talked the other day about him speaking. And, and he said, uh, listen, if you, if you had called me three years ago to do that story, I, I probably wouldn't have been able to do it, you know, from a standpoint of being able to talk about everything he's gone through. But, um, you know, it's, it's obviously been a, a crazy ride for you, Russ, in mm-hmm. terms of kind of going through being a guy that turned down, a lucrative uh, head co- coaching uh, job at Mississippi State for a million dollars a year. Uh, mm-hmm. And now people look at you, oh, he's an assistant at or- Oral Roberts. Um, when, when, how, how difficult was it for you first um, when, again, you didn't go with Rick Barnes from Texas to Tennessee? Um, I mean, that was really challenging because it was something that I wasn't expecting. Um, I had been with coach for a long time and enjoyed a ton of success with coach um, and really thankful for everything that he allowed me to do and learn. Um, But then I realized it was, it was the right thing. It was just hard because it was, you know, like a lot of change Um, it's necessary, but it might not always be what you planned on. Um, So when that, that first happened, it, it made me evaluate, hey, where where am I as compared to where I thought I was? Um, and there were layers to that. You know, the initial part was the decision to not take the Mississippi State job, and that was the, the real reason. Coach always wanted guys that wanted to be head coaches. And I understood, you know, as a little bit of time went on after that decision, um, that that's really what coach had always thought and focused on. So then when the opportunity presented itself, that's the decision that he made was, hey, I want somebody else to be able to benefit from the same opportunities that you've had. Um, and, I, you know, again, I'm thankful for that. It just it was a it was a change, you know, that I just wasn't necessarily thinking about. But it was, you know, it was the right thing. Uh, again, for people that don't know your background, um, you helped build the program at Texas under Barnes. You recruited some really, really good players, Kevin Durant, DJ Augustine, Damian James. Um, then went from there to San Diego for a couple years. Mm-hmm. Then did a year with Sam Presti as a scout at Oklahoma City with the Thunder and have yep. been at Oral Roberts the last couple of years and uh, done a heck of a job uh, over there, obviously, uh, helping Paul Mills get that program to where it was this past year. Um, I, I really, honestly, more than anything, like like to open up to you guys to ask for us anything. Because, you know, for me, I, I spoke with him. <laughs> we talked for about two hours. So I know his story. I, I think it's probably more important for you guys to ask him some questions because 
again, this is a guy who was in a position to get a high major head coaching job and, and didn't. And his career certainly um, went in a different direction for a while. And, and now I think you, what, what Russ and I talked a lot about was you learn who your, your true friends are throughout a lot of that. Like everybody loved Russ Springman when he was interviewing for all those jobs and, and, and got Kevin Durant and whatever. And, you know, out of sight, out of mind a little bit. And, and I know I'll ask this question, then we'll open it up for us. But like mm-hmm. the, the, the mental health part of that, like had to be really, really difficult. Was it not? It definitely was. Um, and not really at the time that, that we just talked about transitioning from Texas to San Diego, but at San Diego, realize like this isn't where I belong. Um, this is not a fit. And then, you know, removing myself from that equation and not having a place to go. I didn't have a landing spot um, until by God's grace, Sam Presti gave me an opportunity like that period of time was very challenging. Um, took a toll on my marriage, uh, took a toll on me as a, you know, as a father, um, and, and really as a professional, I, I started to wonder, like, is this, is this what I'm really meant to do? Because the, the instability with two little kids and a family that had, had always relied on my salary, um, just put a lot of pressure on me. Um, and I, you know, I tell people, I wish I could lie and say that my faith was stronger than my fear, which is what I would like to say, but it would be a lie my fear was stronger than my faith. And, um, you know, back to your comment about friends realizing that I had some really unbelievable people pour into me during those times and help me um, have a better mindset than what I initially had. And um, I'm amazingly thankful for God's grace, but for those people and, and how they helped me during that time. All right. Go ahead. Anybody? I mean, I assume you guys would would have some questions. I can go on all day uh, and, and, and did a few weeks ago with Russ. But uh, anything, jump in. Hey, hey Russ, can you real quick? I, why, why didn't you, like, as, as an assistant coach, when you have an opportunity to take a head job at Mississippi State, what were the factors of you not taking that job? Uh, and what, what was your mindset then? Um, to be completely transparent, my wife asked me a question and she said, what's your biggest fear? And I said, do you want me to tell you the truth or do you want me to tell you something that sounds good? And she said, tell me the truth. And I said, what are you going to do? We had a one-year-old son and everybody in my wife's circle was within an hour and 10 minutes of our home. Um, and honestly, Kenya, I, I was more concerned about what it was going to do to my marriage than what was going to happen with my career. Um, I, I told her I would probably be gone for the better part of two years. And I gave her all the reasons why from, you know, the possibility of only five or six guys returning APR issues, speaking engagements. I mean, you know, the, the laundry list of things that you're going to be involved with. And I just thought, you know, for her to be moved, uh, at that point away from her circle and having no support and me being gone. And it, again, it was probably a mindset that I should not have had but I was more concerned about what's going to happen to my marriage. If she feels like a single parent, um, you know, as Jeff alluded to, you know, it's not the financial part obviously was amazing. um, But I was really afraid what was going to happen to my marriage. And um, that was the primary factor. And I just thought I'm not willing to take that chance. I'd rather, I told my wife from the beginning, if I ever put you on the back burner, then tell me and I'll stop what I'm doing. I, I want to make sure she's in my life. And I, you know, if I have to figure out something else, then that's what I'll do. Um, and in all honesty, that's where my mind was. And the other part of it was until Jeff had asked that question, I really wasn't able to even, and that's more than even what I shared with Jeff. Um, I, mm-hmm. I stayed on the surface, but I, I never had an opportunity to really offer that up. Um, you know, and, and part of that, really, a large part of that was simply on me, right? Like, I wasn't comfortable being that transparent and that vulnerable. But it wasn't about the opportunity. It wasn't about coaching. Um, it was about my wife 
and, and, and not even her, but where I thought we could end up being um, as a married couple. And I just didn't want to take that chance at that time. Now I would, because, you know, we're in a much better place um, as a, you know, as a husband and a wife, to be honest, Mm -hmm. Um, we've got two kids, not that we figured it out yet, but I hope we're better than we were when we started. Um, And we've moved. So they're like all the the potential variables that we would potentially had questions about are gone. Um, But the biggest thing was the strength of my marriage. So, um, I mean, that's just being, I appreciate appreciate you sharing that. Yes, sir. Hey, Russ, man, I want to commend you on that decision, man. That's probably one of the, you know, most unselfish decisions, man, that I've ever heard. Thank you. Uh, and I assume that was that was the job that Rick Ray got. Yes, sir. That I was a part of, man. And I, I tell you, I sat there for those three years, man. And, you know, that was probably one of the toughest experiences I had in basketball my whole life. And I watched Rick, you know, struggle with his marriage you know, that whole time. And even after that, when he moved to SEMO, you know, still struggle. And they're they're finally at Colorado getting their self back together. Uh, But your concern was real, man. Thank you. uh, You know, if your family is the most important thing to you, you made the right decision, bro. Uh, Thank you. I appreciate that. Russ, I second that emotion. Yeah, I mean, I think we all we all do. I mean, we all do because we all wish we could make that decision, right? And it's hard. I mean, you guys, especially, you know, you're, you're thinking of that first job. And that first job is an SEC job making a million dollars a year. It's not, you know, it's not some job where you're taking a pay cut. I mean, this is like the job that you've worked for. Um, so I, I'm, I'm with you, man. Like, I, I I think it's it's something that, and I talked to your wife for a while. Um, I know it wasn't easy for you guys, but I think again, you're in a much better place now because of it. Uh, thank you, thank you. Just this for all of us. I think the 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 lesson, like like it's changed. Like I, I, I Scott. I mean, we obviously had some crazy things we had to to go through when we first got here, and one of the things that um, he did is he brought in a marriage counselor once twice a year to meet with our staff and our wives. And he brought in um, parent parenting experts uh, from our community and outside, and they would meet with us. And we talk about where our kids were at certain ages, but coach really invested in us as a staff so that we can make sure things were okay at home. Now, obviously, we give people give great advice all the time. You got to apply it, but because he was willing to do that, it gave us some tools in order to help at home. It showed that you know our wives showed our wives that he cared about the whole family, and so everybody on here is going to be a head coach sometime, and you're going to want those dudes to grind for you the way you grind for somebody else. But if they can't do it if things aren't right at home. And that's, that's the responsibility of the head coaches to help his staff have things right at home so that they can in turn help him achieve what he wants to achieve. But Russ, um, I'm unbelievable, man. I, I, I didn't know I'm here at Baylor and Russ turns down Mississippi state and you're like, man, what the heck is going on? And, and when I, I heard it, it like, it really, really convicted me. And because of the thoughts that that's in my head, you know, the judgments that shouldn't be there. And so, man, we're very thankful that you shared that story because it impacted a lot of lives, mine included. Uh, You You, you should talk honestly. I mean this for us. They should have you talking to people, coaches, young coaches in the industry about about that. It it would because I just again, most of the guys on here are a little bit older. But when you're younger, I know Kenya looks like he's 25 still. But, um, <laughs> but again, when, when you're younger, all you're thinking about is is yourself, right? I mean, like, let's face it. I mean, I know I was. I still am to some degree. But, but Russ, to make that decision, like, to me, you can impart so much wisdom on, on the younger coaches of like, hey, I, I, I did it. And you know what? It was better for my family. It was better for me. And, and again, I know at the time you might not have been thinking that, right? At the time you might have had some regrets, but now you look back on it and you told me this a few weeks ago, like you have no regrets. 
No, I, I don't have any regret, regrets, excuse me. I think um, when people have asked, you know, like, hey, what do you think about a particular situation? I've always started with, you know, what, what quality of life? How do you define your quality of life? And it doesn't make one line of thinking right or another wrong. Um, and some people certainly begin with the career and, you know, everything else follows. And again, that, that's not a wrong way of thinking. Um, but I do think there should be a balance accordingly, you know, between a certain financial reward for the job that you're doing that allows you to, to provide and, and protect your family. Um, you know, I, I just was in a situation where I, I felt like I was in a, a good position. Um, and, and again, my family was the, the primary concern. And that, that's really where my quality of life began. If anybody had approached me about a job and we had a conversation about um, a different job that was available at that time, and it was the College of Charleston. And I had mentioned even before I went to interview for Mississippi State that um, I would have wanted to be involved at the College of Charleston. And I had my reasons why. But a, a part of it was the quality of life that I thought my wife could have there as compared to a different location. I just thought it might have been a better fit for her and make that transition a little easier. Um, it's not the SEC. It certainly wasn't the same salary, but I thought back to quality of life and balancing those dynamics, it would have been better for us. But um, I mean, I, I would love to be able to talk to people it, it, really just in an effort to try to help um, I mean, look, there's plenty of people that thought I was crazy, still do think I'm crazy for, for making that choice. But, you know, I tell people openly, like my, my wife's eight years younger than me. She's got olive skin and green eyes. It's the best recruiting uh, sign I've ever had in my life. And I'm not, I'm not losing her. You know, I'm not doing that. All right. Well, listen, we, we appreciate you um, being as, as honest and, and open as you've been. Um, really do. And I know a lot of these guys have your number, but um, I'm sure they'll reach out to you. Uh, I want to, I want to pivot a little bit. I, I want to start. Um, I want to start with a couple of the, the, the more mid-major guys on here with the transfer portal and just everything that's going on with transfers. So we'll start with Steve, because I want to get your mind off this interview anyway. Upcoming no problem. Interview. Russ, so, I, I really appreciate what you said too, by the way, I've heard, I've worked for guys that have worked with you and they speak highly of you, man. That was good stuff. Go ahead, Jeff. Steve, you, you've got a team coming back that I got ranked in the top 25 preseason. Everybody knows how hard a job it is in, in Olean and, and the job Schmidt and, and you and the rest of the staff have done there. But how much do you worry? Because you had your whole team coming back. You do right now in terms of your starters. You've lost right. a lot of the other kind of uh, ancillary pieces right now to transfer but you've kept the starting group together and they're all going to be seniors. How much do you worry? Even now they're still there today, but yeah. they can get plucked at any point by any of the high majors. And, and this thing kind of um, falls apart a little bit of, of what, what you have and how special it could be next year. Yeah. I mean, it, it we literally only have the five starters returning everybody else. Jump ship. We had three guys live mid leave during the season because they weren't playing enough yeah. and COVID issues. And then we had the rest of those guys just left at the end of the season. Um, you know, and my thinking all along was with this group uh, is that we need to have some major league success this year, win the Atlantic 10, win the tournament, get to the NSA tournament, maybe advance, which we weren't able to do that. And I thought that would take the pressure off those guys, like the Kyle Loftons, the Oshuns, those guys. Like, all right, we did it. Where if we didn't have that success, I would thought, I, in my mind, I would have thought they would start to panic and be like, all right, we gave it our best shot. All right, I'm going to transfer to XYZ place, you know, where they're probably going to make it, you know. And, um, you know, so I kind of, I mean, we got lightning in a bottle. Like, I, I, and those guys are close. Some of them, two of the guys played in prep school together. You know, we have a close group. And I think, that's one big thing that has helped keep these guys together. They're a close group. And yeah, it's, uh, you know, but at the same time, it's been hard to recruit, you know, because everybody that's transferring wants a better situation. 
and mm-hmm. nobody would bring it in. Is gonna, yeah, <laughs> you know. But I mean, we've gotten four guys, two guys, what, we get two guys out of the portal, and I mean, it's just. What do you think of the What do you think of the transfer landscape overall, Steve? With, with regards to to you guys being a, a mid major plus, however you want to call yourselves, yeah. program. I mean, I'd be a hypocrite if I said I didn't like it because I mean we pulled some transfers from low major schools. We had a kid a couple of years ago, Matt Mobley, who came in was a great player in the Northeast Conference, and you know we put him in the backcourt with Jalen Adams, and those guys you know went to the NCAA tournament, like and so. I mean, it's just, do I like it? No, but there's a lot of things I don't like. You just got to adjust, adapt, and, and if, you got to stay with it. You know, it's it's just been crazy. But and I, the, the thing that scares me the most in, is that some of these kids are leaving and they don't even have a situation to go to. We have guys leaving that have zero stats, like zero. Right. You know, and they're leaving in their third year and they're going to lose a bunch of credits, all that other stuff that people just don't even think about or the people that are advising them don't think about. And they're just leaving, you know, not that St. Bonaventure's Yale, but you're going you're gonna to graduate with a pretty good degree in another year and then maybe go play as a grad transfer somewhere back home or, you know, get your degree. And that's the most important thing for, for, for the 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th guy here in St. Bonaventure. Those guys aren't playing when this thing's all said and done, you know, but that's a whole different ball of wax. But, um, yeah, I'm just glad we had a good year. <laughs> and we got up those five guys as of today coming back. So what, is yeah. anybody here behind this transfer? I know like former players, listen, you know, Jay Bill has certainly spearheaded this, right? Like players rights, players rights. A lot of you guys were former players too. Is, is there anybody on here that's like, Hey, you know what? This is a good thing. No, nobody. No, nobody. Okay. Well, I, I think, I think it's, um, I think it's a fair thing. I don't necessarily, it doesn't make any of our lives easier. You know, mm-hmm. you know, coaches can leave, assistants can leave for better situations, you know. Um, but I, I don't think, like, we make informed decisions when we leave, you know. Um, some Most of these kids. Of Most of you. Like, like, well, like Stephen was saying, um, that nobody takes into account if you're a third-year transfer, right, you've been in six semesters, you have to have 60% towards graduation. The school that might be showing interest in you to someone in your circle, uh, they might require the last 60 hours at their school. That means there's almost no way for you to meet that, you know, unless you get to summer school and take, you know, eight hours and just all the things that go into it. Now you're relegated to going to a school that would only require the last 30 hours. So now, and maybe there's none of those schools interested in you. So, so there's a lot of other things that people have no idea about the business and they're informing kids about. And so that, that to Steven's point, I would say that's some of the, the things that, that kids and people who are informing them need to find out about and communicate about in order to help young people make a better decision. I want to say this real quick, Jeff. I, I think uh, what Tang is saying is right. There there are some kids in situations that need to move. You know, I would be a hypocrite. I got a daughter who signed with Michigan and transferred to North Carolina. Uh, now, I'm old school. I, I, I didn't want her to leave. But, but the entire staff that recruited her all got jobs. One of them came here to Florida State. So she's calling me saying, Daddy, I, this head coach is okay, but these new assistants, I don't know any of them, and they got their own recruits, and I I don't feel comfortable. And so I'm telling her, listen, your last name, young little mom, you got to stay up there and fight. But after a while, you know, your baby girl gets to your heart, and she says, Daddy, I got I to gotta leave. She puts her name in the transfer portal, and I, I told her, you only average – two points a game, you might be about to bust Edward Water wide open. But she put her name in the portal, and I thought I had LeBron James living in, my, living in my house. I couldn't believe it. So for her, it was a good situation. I think it's a good thing. I think the fairness, and I think student athletes are being treated the right way. I think the logistics of it, we got to fin- We got to figure out. Uh, I don't, you know, I saw where the Hamilton kid is transferring again. Yeah. Uh, 
Like it, it, it's it's some things about it that doesn't sit right. But I do want to say this to everybody on the call. Uh, the number one word in civilization is evolution. Cars get better, shoes get better, TVs get better. Uh, we better get better or we're going to be extinct like a dinosaur. I don't know when the last time y'all seen a dinosaur walking down I-95. I haven't seen one. We basically JUCO coaches now. And I don't think there's anything we can do about it. <laughs> That's my two cents on it. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've kind of been on both sides of it. You know, back when all of this kind of started with the grad transfers, right? And I, this might have been 2008, 2009. At the time, I was at UAB with Mike Davis. And we had one of the top recruiting classes in the country with DeMarcus Cousins. And that whole thing fell apart. And at the time, we had like five guys on scholarship. And it was June, I think. And we went to grad transfer route. It had just got put into place. We recruited kid George Drake. Uh, we recruited Kenneth Cooper. Obviously, Eliza Millsap was sitting out as a transfer. And we kind of built our team around those guys. We ended up winning like 25 games that year and beat North Carolina in our team. Uh, so it obviously helped us at, at that particular point. Uh, but I, I think the thing for us as teachers, because I think we're all teachers, is trying to figure out what we can do to entice these kids to persevere. You know, I was here at Auburn, I think, as a sophomore. Was I, was I a sophomore, CY, when you guys came on staff? And I had that same thought sophomore. process. Man, should I stay? Should I leave? It's a new coach. You know, Cliff Ellis was coming on board. And if I, if I would have had the opportunity to leave without having to sit out, I probably would have left. But because of that rule, you know, I stayed here at Auburn, and, you know, I ended up being a really good player and, and having a chance of being a pro. You know, it all kind of worked out. But there's so many kids and parents out here right now that don't want to fight through anything. They don't want to persevere through anything. They don't know adversity, don't know how to – what are we teaching our kids? And for us, I think we got to find a way to kind of, you know, entice these guys some kind of way to stay and get, and fight through something. You know, some kind of way. I don't know what that is. I don't have any answer, but I think that's the thought process that's got to happen from this point forward. I want to say this real quick. Um, I mean, I pick it back off, Coach Flanagan, um, see why uh, I go back and forth with it. Um, I, I'm, I'm old school, man. Um, I was raised by my grandparents, uh, OGs, where you where you finish what you start. Um, you don't run from adversity. Um, no matter what it is, um, there is no way I would have left Perry Clark. No way. When I was at Tulane, man, just, I wasn't leaving. It's just, you know, you to me, and, and, and I'm different, but to me, leaving was a – leaving you was a failure to me. Um, and, and I go back and forth with it. Now I'm looking at some of these kids, man, and, you know, I'm, you got to be loyal. Uh, you got to be a soldier. Um, you got to finish with your start. Um to be honest, man, these kids are different, you know, um, and, and, and and trust me, I struggle with it, man, because I don't have this generation. I don't have that characteristic in me, that characteristic, characteristic in me, um, and I fight with it every day. Um, these kids have opportunities, man. I'm just telling you, kid went to my high school. Um, Y'all might all know him, DJ, leaving Coastal Carolina, and I'm just telling you, man, the, number, the amount of coaches that have reached out to me, it's been unbelievable. You know what I mean? So I'm looking at this kid like, hold on, man, this dude at Coastal Carolina, and he got the who's who calling it. How could I be – who who could be mad at him? Can't. Like, who, like who, could be, who could be mad at him? This dude got – hey, man, everybody. When I say everybody, I mean everybody. And I'm like, I can't be mad at him. I don't, I don't feel what you're doing. I don't like what you're doing, but I understand, man. Um. Two things. The problem I have is 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 um the high major dudes trying to jack us. I ain't I ain't, I ain't with that. I ain't, I ain't I ain't with that. I I didn't get into coaching until I was thirty five, so I ain't never been jacked in my life. And then they're trying to jack me without a gun. I, that ain't happening. So I, I got a problem with that. Um, the high majors jacking dudes. Um, and then the second problem I have is if everybody got such a big problem with it, and if coaches against it against it, how about stop taking them? 
How about stop taking transfers? Period. Across the board, all coaches, let's come to a halt and say we ain't taking enough. Then what? You know what I mean? We control the narrative. But if dudes ain't willing to do that, if you still go have some snakes that, you know what I mean, want to take it to make their program better and do what's right for them instead of what Coach Springman did, you know, being the soldier that he was and do what's right for his family, let's not complain about it. Let's do what CY said, man. Let's figure it out and, 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 and I'll figure out how to do it. You know, but if we ain't going to do that, you know what I mean? What, what are we really complaining about? There's nothing to complain about. Figure out how to do it and keep it moving. Now, listen, Jeff, this is the last thing I'm going to say, and I'm going to be quiet. Now, I'm done. But I got to say this because I love addressing the elephant in the room, and I'm glad we got the young Thundercat Wade on here because I'm glad he said what he said. Number one, Wade, it's some low to mid-major guys that's jacking D2s left and right. <laughs> so I don't want to hit. <laughs> <laughs> and number two, I don't rock like that. <laughs> and number two, the elephant in the room, Tang is sitting there with a national title because Davian Mitchell left Auburn and went to Baylor. Now somebody got to talk to me. And I begged him to stay, and I it was my first week on the job. I was begging him to stay. See why? <laughs> hey, not hold on, not 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 just Davion, Davion Mitchell, um, Macy Oteague, Adam Flagler. Johnson, Ch- yeah. Chama um, and and Jared Butler started at Alabama and then left. So you know, but yeah, every one of those dudes had to sit a year before they could play. Mm. Okay? It wasn't they come over here and play That's for us. They had to sit time. a year, and that sit a year made Save. a huge difference. Yes. Okay, and so. I mean, today it's a whole different story. Now Jokers want to come transfer because they saw what happened to somebody else. And 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 wait, we don't have to jack. People are calling us, okay? And it's like, are they in the portal? You know, like it's you know, I mean, that's just that's just is what it is. And but nobody wants to sit that year, and nobody wants to put in that time that you got to put in in order to be able to. To, to perform at the level that some of these kids performed at. And so, I mean, it's. So what people don't realize, Tang, literally, you've got AU coaches, you've got family calling you. Yeah. Not even in the portal right now saying, hey, if we go in the portal, are you interested? Yeah. That is a fact. Wow. <laughs> I mean. Hey, fact, I got three. I got three of those calls today. Yeah. It's crazy. Crazy. Um, I think it all goes back to your relationships with your guys, man. You know, you got to have strong relationships with your guys to making sure um, through the tough times that, you know, they trust what you're saying and they believe in you uh, and going through the process of waiting their turn. And again, because the rule has changed where you can go and play right away, um, they're questioning that. And but I, it goes back to who you recruit, um, and I just think when I, I'm not going to change in that regard because I think that's the most important thing for me is building that relationship with the people that are surrounding that kid to make sure that they understand, you know, just the whole process of it. So um, I know that wasn't a point of, of what we were talking about, but I, I think no, that's no, but it's true. Us. Yeah. yeah. But, but even if you have a great relationship with a kid, I feel like sometimes it's not going to matter at the end of the day, right? Like, especially if you're a mid-major. I mean, with Trace, somebody like that, it might be different because if he's leaving, he's leaving a high-major situation for another high-major situation. Where is he going that he's going to get more touches, right? But, like, the kid from Coastal Carolina, that's a different dude. Cliff Ellis might have had the greatest relationship in the world with him, but ultimately mm-hmm. – for him, it's, hey, if I got a chance to play, you know, on TV every day, how do I not take that? Yeah. To me, the person who could really speak to this is, is Russ, because Russ and them just went to the Sweet 16. They got multiple studs, right? And so, Russ, what is it that y'all did? I mean, because your core is there. No, I, I mean, you know Coach Mills better than anybody, and I think his top priority every day is our players. 
and the relationships with the players. So I think, you know, back to what Kenya talked about, you know, we've been blessed to have guys that that's important to them. Um, I mean, it's no secret Max has been recruited by other high major programs uh, for months, you know, before we were probably even into February, that stuff began, which back to what Wade said, I think that's wrong. You know, I, I don't agree with that. At the end of the season, if the kid wants to do something to see if he can play on a, a quote-unquote bigger stage or at a higher level, then I, I do think they deserve that opportunity to evaluate, hey, what's best for me at that time. But the recruiting of a kid in a, you know, who's currently in a program, I, I just think that's wrong, and I think we're doing each other a disservice by – by doing it. And, and I understand, you know, like at the end of the day, you got to win in order to keep your job. I, I get that, but I still think right is right and wrong is wrong. Um, and Kevin's been in a similar situation uh, for the last couple of years, but, you know, coach is really big on spending time with our guys and he's adamant that as a staff, we spend time with our guys. And I mean, I know a large part of it was y'all's philosophy at Baylor. And he said, coach Drew told him, if you're not talking to our players every day, you're making a mistake. You know, like you, you talk to recruits and, you know, the reality is out of however many guys you're recruiting, how many of them actually show up? But these guys are here with you every day. So why, like, why are we spending more time on the phone with guys that we may never coach than guys that are actually in our locker room and on our practice floor every day? You know, and I think something else that's interesting is um, like to me, the, these transfer situations start earlier than when they present themselves in college. I think some of these kids have a track record, unfortunately, of, um, you know, kind of changing as soon as there is some adversity. And, and sometimes maybe it's merited, right? Like, hey, I'm just not a fit for, for this particular coaching style. Or, hey, you have four guards that are better than me, and I thought I was going to play more. But some of this starts, you know, early on in high school. So I don't know, like, why we're surprised when it happens again when they get to college, you know? Um, I, I mean, I think if we're serious about – I don't know if you can ever minimize it. The numbers are going to go up even more as a result of no penalty, right? But how do you try to at least try to teach resiliency, grit, whatever word you want to put on it, um, a little earlier? If, I don't even know if that's possible. Because I do think a lot of kids, unfortunately, and, and maybe it's people around them too, just feel like, all right, well, you're not the right situation instead of working for something that's not immediately available to you. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's just an archaic line of thinking. Darren, where, where are you at with all of this? Well, um, you know what? Let's throw UCLA out the window. But at Cincinnati, too, the guys that we had that wanted to leave um, during my time, they weren't going to probably go up higher, if that makes sense. And – so my situation was probably different to some degree. Um, but I, I was talking I, – I used the term talking guys off the ledge for nine years. Um, and just, you know, they stayed. We only had like five or six transfers in nine years. Really? Now maybe because of – and most of them, of those five or six guys, they were asked to leave for whatever reasons. You know, they did something wrong or whatever. But uh, I, I – I don't know. I think it's how you recruit them because we're not going to change the rule us sitting there talking about it. So my philosophy is it's how you recruit them, what you say to them when you recruit them, their expectation level. And that still might not matter, but that's what we do. And then I, I was on a Zoom the other day talking about this. You got to show the players. I, 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 we're all older on, on this thing, so I, I can't be a 19-year-old's best friend. But I want that kid to know that I care about, I think as a coach, they, they love basketball. And the, the best way to get to their heart is to show them every day that you're concerned about their development on the court. So what that means to me is get on the court early, 30, 40 minutes, get them, tell them, Hey, I'm going to be on the court. Let's go, man. You know, we'll, we'll shoot. We'll work on footwork. We'll, work, we'll stay after practice. I'll send them clips during the day at night when I'm watching film and me just, I bombard – my, that's the way I do it. I bombard them with basketball stuff. And they still might leave after all that too, right, with the transfer rules. But I just think that's the best way to kids' hearts. 
because they want to get better. They, they want to play. They want to improve. And most of the time, you know, the reasons why they do leave is because they want to play at a, at a bigger stage or they want to improve or whatever the reasons are. But most of the time, those are the reasons. There's other reasons too. But I just think if you stick your mind on that, uh, more, you know, I, I think you'll have a better chance of, of keeping your, your team together. But but who but who knows? You know, like we haven't had anybody want to transfer so far. Um, but we have well, we have time left, of course. <laughs> but uh, seems like everybody's intact now. We just came off the Final Four. I don't know if that has anything to do with it or not. But I mean, Mick's hard on the guys. So from the outside perception is, man, he's tough to deal with. He's, he yells. He's tough. Whatever. But at Cincinnati, we we didn't have guys transferring every year, and. You know, I think part of it is how you recruit them and what their expectation level is coming in. Even with that, they all want to start and play 30 minutes a game as freshmen. But I think they, at least their people, their coach, their mentor, their family, their parents, they all kind of knew, all right, it's, you know, it's going to take some, it's not going to be roses right away. It's going to take some time. And that's a hard way to recruit because, you know, you, everyone wants to start and they want to be told they're going to be great right away. So I think that has something to do with it. Mick knows how to pull back a little bit. He, he's, you know, he can he can step away, uh, especially in the offseason. Like right now, we're, we're about to do workouts here in 10 minutes. He just texts us, you guys do the workouts, I'll watch. You know, just to, just to step away from his voice. Um, but again, I'm at UCLA. It's hard to leave this place. So, um, but I've also been at other places in smaller schools that um, it's easy to leave. <laughs> and, uh, you know, since at Cincinnati, there were some guys that didn't play as much that were going to leave. And it, they probably could have went down a level maybe and been a starter. And, I, you know, you have to have your, your pulse on it, man. You have to be on top of it all the time. And it's not going to change, and there's nothing we can do about it, I don't think. It's got to, like what T.Y. said, we got to roll with the punches here and figure it out. I just wanted to add on one thing that you guys have been saying. Um, I think that the, that it will help to incentivize creating a, a culture within the players on the roster, not just the relationships between the coaching staff and the players, but the players themselves. And then it's it's not really the same. Um, but I did just want to give an example from my own life. When I was I played a little Division three school in New York, and when I was a freshman, I got kicked off the team. And that's a funny story for probably a different setting than this, but. Um, after that happened, there were a couple other schools in the area that, that I reached out to the coaching staffs where I had a better relationship with them than the guys that were at the program that I was at. And the opportunity was there for me to, to go somewhere else. And I ultimately decided to stay at the school that I was at simply because like the guys that I had met and the players on the team, like they, those were like, we immediately became best friends and like, they're still my best friends to this day. Uh, like we have a group chat of 15 guys that were on that team at the time uh, that's still going like every single day. And um, I think being able to kind of develop that is something that will help keep players around, right? Yeah. And, and sorry, that's my daughter. Um, but yeah. it's different at the yeah. division three level than uh, than than what you guys are obviously at. And obviously, this was 15 yeah. years ago. But yeah. sorry, guys. Um, but I do think that it would help making sure that the guys don't want to leave because they don't want to leave the experience they're having with with the people that are their friends. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, I would think that that's it's not something I thought about a lot, but you're right. Like, like if you have a really close knit team, right? It, it, it's not just about leaving the coaching staff; it's about leaving your boys. Jeff, I, I want to say this to everybody on the call: um, the good thing about the transfer rule, the good thing about it, is it does put pressure on the coaching profession to operate with a tremendous amount of humility. It makes, it puts pressure on the coaching profession to treat these kids with love. The guys who struggle with this rule have a lack of humility. And I have a problem with that with some of the guys in this coach. Some of these coaches in our profession, and I think every guy on this call will, will agree, some of these guys in this profession they are convinced that they Martin Luther King. They think they're Nelson Mandela. They think they made the cure for cancer. 
All you do is coach basketball and you don't have a right to treat these kids or the people that work for you like peasants. And I think that's the great thing about the rule. You'll, you'll, if you look around, a lot of the guys who are struggling with this rule are guys who operate with a lack of humility. So I, I do like that about the rule. I hope I make sense. Do I make sense to everybody? Yeah. Great point, man. Great, great point, CY. How much do you guys think here? And we'll wrap here in a little bit. Um, but you know, as much as I struggle because I feel like, yes, for the kids' sake, it's good for them to have this freedom, right? And I know a lot of them are going to make mistakes, um, even with this freedom. But on the flip side, for me, I'm terrified of how poor the play is going to be in college basketball next season and especially early on in the year. I think it's going to be awful. Like, I think every every team, if you look at the average turnover on every team, it's probably going to be more than 50% if I had to guess. So, like, how is this – and I get it. Again, you're balancing, right, what's good for the game and good for the kids. I don't know how you balance it. But I, I just think, again, it's going to be really ugly uh, watching college basketball and, and somebody – and I don't want to call them out, but somebody like Jay Billis who was so in favor – of kids' rights here. Well, he also hated when the, the quality of play sucked a few years ago. And I think you may have that again. Yeah, I, I say something, Jeff. Like, yeah. my biggest concern, I'm interviewing for a low major job. If I get this job, you know, if I'm good, I'm going to lose my best players. Let's, let's be honest. Like, it's so do I want to, do I want to dive into something like that? And I'm going to become a Juco coach. Basically, you know, and, and I can roll with it, but like, it, it's scary. It's really scary. I'm not getting a high major job and, 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 you know, right now. So I got to go to a low major school to try to retain players, to recruit talent and, and to keep them there in order for, for us to be successful. And that's, you know, I'm, str- I'm struggling with it. It's not like I, I'm, you know, I'll be, hopefully I get a chance to, to, to get the job, but then like, like, do I really want the job? You know what I mean? It's like, those are the things that I'm, yeah. It's like, I think it's just going to, I think in 10 years, 15 years from now, it's going to be the big boys, the power seven, and then everybody else is going to be division three. Why spend the money? You know, why, why put kids in school? Like, you know, the Hartford situation that's out of control, you know, you know, it's just, it's scary. The low to mids in, you know, I'm in the Atlantic 10 right now. I think that's going to be the bottom level and then everybody up from there. You know what I'm saying? That That's how I see it evolving. Hey, Steve, I told Mills when he got the Oral Roberts job that he should treat it like a Juco and just recruit the most talented kids who maybe aren't physically ready yet and right. tell them, look, I'm going to play you. I'm a, You're going to put up numbers. You're going to do all these things. And then I'm going to help you get to the best high major spot. But in those two years, love those kids so much that they don't want to leave. And I mean, I, I don't know if he listened to me, but it, it's worked out. It's working. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah. That's a great point, Tang. And I, I think, you know, everybody has some concerns and everybody's going to have some issues. The issues are going to be different. You know, guys like us and Baylor and Indiana and UCLA and Florida State, you know, our, our issue is going to be okay. Uh, you know, the, the really good players, you know, they're going to go pro. You know, we, we've lost, you know, two two years in a row, we've lost guys that we thought would at least be here two years, and, and they've gone, all right? And then and then on, on, the, on the back end of it, you know, you're going to lose, you know, player 10, 9, and possibly 8 because, you know, they're not playing as much as, you know, they want to come into this high major situation. And so, you know, we, we're going to play 9 to 11 guys you know, each and every night. Like, our, our roster and the way we sub is not going to change much. Uh, but yet and still, this year, we still lost three guys to the transfer portal. And two of them were starters that averaged 25-plus minutes a game. You know, and so that that's hard to explain. But, you know, I just think that that's, that's where college basketball is going now. And it's not going to be, you know, anything that much, much that we can do besides, you know, support those guys and, you know, try to put the best roster you can out there each and every year and try to win as many games as you can, you know. 
Hey, can I piggyback on that, Wes? Because we were just talking about that as a staff. Like, what's the new recruiting model moving forward? As far as, like, how many kids you bringing in in 22 that are young kids? And then how, how are you going to recruit from the portal? Because you're going to have, you know, three guys that may leave, two guys that may leave. Like, what does that look like moving forward? You know what I'm saying? Because each year it's going to be like, you know, for us right now, we have a full roster that everyone could return next year. But we know damn well – at least three or four guys are going to be gone. Right. So it's like, okay, now <laughs> how do you recruit to that? You know? So the recruiting landscape is, is, is crazy right now, man. And uh, anybody got any suggestions on that? Let me, you know. Kenyon, Kenyon, we went into it this year with the youngest team in college basketball. Like, to be honest with you, Bruce Pearl hadn't really been in the portal much since I've been in here. Uh, we hadn't lost a lot of guys. We lost Davion Mitchell. Obviously, you know, he didn't want to play second fiddle to Jerry Harper, so he left. You know, uh, he made the best out of his situation. But we went into it this year. We didn't recruit no transfer guys. All freshmen and sophomores, you know, we knew we would probably take a little, little bit of a whooping this year. But we were thinking we would have this whole team back this year and be ready to make a run. Well, you know, we sitting there in the spring and we got six scholarship guys out there in workouts after our season was over with. And now we're looking at starting over. And we had no choice but to go into the transfer report. Like, no choice. It's crazy, man. Crazy. All right, well, listen. I, I know some of you guys uh, are, are starting to jump off that you've got other things going on. I, I appreciate everybody for doing this. Um, we got to come up with a name for the series, see why. We got to come up with something, you know. I'm I'm, I'm not I'm, – Doster's better at that stuff than I am. So, we'll we'll come up with something. But, listen, I, I appreciate it, um, all you guys, for being a part of it. Uh, it was great. Russ, thanks for coming on and, and spending some time talking about your story. I think, again, it was enlightening in, in a lot of ways for people. Again, enlightening in a lot of ways, you know, and, and, and I think a lot of people have a ton of respect for you uh, for putting your family first when most of us – wouldn't have it uh, done, done the same thing. So uh, a, a lot of a lot of praise to you for that. And uh, again, we'll, we'll we'll do this again soon. All right. So thanks for uh, thanks for coming on, Savino. You look much better in that. You look like you're ready Thank to go. Thank you. I'm ready to go to practice. Let's go. There you go. All right. Thanks again, guys.